Well, hello, my friends. How's it going? Welcome to D4. That stands for D&D Deep Dive, by the way, 4Ds. This is the show where each week we take a deep dive into one, sometimes two, specific character builds for Dungeons and Dragons. We theorycraft about them. We crunch numbers about them, not so that I can tell you the right way or the best way to play a certain character, but to explore one way to build and play a character in D&D with the hopes of creating something that's both really powerful, but also really fun. So if you enjoy creating characters for Dungeons and Dragons almost as much as you enjoy playing the actual game itself, or if you're just looking for tips or ideas on how to build a character you're thinking about playing, then welcome home. This is where you belong, and I'm so glad you're here. So thanks for being here. My name is Colby. If you would be interested in receiving a step-by-step -step cheat sheet on how to recreate this character yourself or any of the other characters that I build on this channel, or if you're just looking to give a little extra love and support to me and to the channel to help me create more and better content, I would really appreciate it. If you would consider joining the channel as a member, there's a little button down below that says join. For $2 a month, you get access to the library of write-ups that I make for each of these episodes that kind of walk you through recreating it so you don't have to go back and rewatch the video or take notes and it really helps me out a lot so huge thanks to all of my channel members really appreciate you guys and for everybody else i also really appreciate you just watching subscribing especially liking joining commenting those are all also great ways to support the channel so thank you all right i've received over the years a lot of requests to do like a marksman specialist build a character who is stealthy who can do big damage but especially from really far away it's definitely a fun concept and it's one that's been on my to-do list forever so today is the day that i'm finally going to take it on but I need to discuss the concept a little bit first and talk about what this build is not going to be as well as what it is. First off, it's not going to be a Gloomstalker Ranger Assassin Rogue. For one reason, because I kind of did that already. And also, I didn't want to make this character a burst damage or Nova damage character, as Gloomstalkers are, I think, really built for. Instead, I envision this character as being someone who can make long-range attacks over and over with the enemy frustratingly unable to get to them since they're perched up in their tree or taking cover behind a wall or just so dang far away that the enemy would be dead by the time they closed the distance, right? And that to me is the real sort of danger and appeal of a marksman sniper-like character. It's not that they can headshot you from a mile away, it's that they can do it over and over again and you maybe don't know where they are or don't know how to get to them before or they take you and your whole squad out, right? Second, yes, I imagine them as being stealthy and sneaky to get into just the right position for their long-range attacks. And so that makes me want to talk about the rogue as a character class and concept in Dungeons & Dragons 5e. A few weeks ago, I did a build called the Quickened Blade that was mostly a rogue build trying to take advantage as I often have on other videos, of getting sneak attack twice in a round. During the preamble to that video, I complained about 1D&D's apparent upcoming nerf to rogues as Wizards of the Coast seems to be changing the class so that sneak attack only works on the rogue's turn, as opposed to on a turn, thus potentially allowing it 
multiple times around, right? I got a lot of comments on that video and even more on the short that I made from it that went along the lines of rogues don't need to do great damage because they bring a lot of utility to the party unlike barbarians or fighters, for example. Those characters should be out damaging the rogue because all they really bring is damage. And you know, on one hand, I guess I kind of agree with that sentiment, in theory. I mean, if all classes could do comparable damage to one another, then it seems like it would be a bit silly to ever play a class that brought just damage. I guess my counter-argument to those commenters might be something like, the reality is that thanks to multi-classing, you can build fighters and barbarians who bring a lot of utility and or support and also full casters who can arguably outdamage even fighters and barbarians. So if we hit rogues with a nerf stick to keep them from doing too much damage because they bring a lot of utility, I kind of worry that no one will ever want to invest a lot of levels into rogue anymore, since you can get so much of their roguish utility with just a single level dip, or maybe three levels, depending on the subclass. I mean, I kind of already have a hard time justifying taking a lot of rogue levels as is. If you take away the really nice scaling that you can get from sneak attack if you can do it twice in a round, then it becomes even harder to justify. Maybe this argument is kind of neither here nor there, as we still don't have a complete picture on what one D&D will look like yet. But after the last video that they just put out, when I'm recording this anyway, talking about their intent to make martial characters more interesting and diverse and better damage dealing, I do have high hopes. I just hope that some of those big damage dealing things for martial characters will benefit not just the new warrior classes alone, or else rangers and rogues and paladins might be left in the lurch. As for today and the build that we're going to do that's still based in D&D 5e, I think yes, if you want to play a character who can bring both high sustained DPR damage per round and lots of great scouty lockpicky utility, your best bet is either to find a reliable way to get sneak attack twice per round and go heavy rogue, which we have done on several occasions now like I've said, or do some heavy multi-classing out of rogue early on in your character's career to pick up extra attack and other goodies, which is what we're going to be doing this week. But don't worry, despite all of that, we are going to be sticking with our stealthy ranged damage dealer from long range concept. We will also just be adding a whole slew of other great things that this character will be able to bring with them to the table to bolster their party. Not just scouty lockpicky utility, but also other utility and even some nice support options in the way of buffing and healing. Thus, even though our damage might not be best in class necessarily, we will still be an incredibly valuable and versatile party member who can pack a mean punch while striking fear into the heart of their enemy as they panic, unable to actually reach this enemy who's picking off their allies one by one. And so I proudly present episode 122, The Sniper. 
Huge thanks to my good friend Randall Hampton for this fantastic artwork that he created for the character concept I sent him. He does this every week, unless he's at PAX, <laughs> and I love the art that he does. He's a fantastic and amazing person and artist, and if you would like to follow him on social media to see the other stuff that he's done, or potentially reach out to him to see if you can commission him to create some art for your character or your party, I will, as always, put links in the video description on how to do so. Thanks, Randall. And also, before we jump into the build, let me read you guys the description for this character concept that the team over at Describe has come up with since they are the sponsor for the video this week. The smell of black powder suffuses the marksman's rugged clothing, a remnant of each deadly shot. Bracing the musket against their shoulder, the sniper takes a long, steadying breath as they draw a bead on their target, adjusting their aim for the immense distance between them. Muttering a prayer and beseeching their god for a clean shot, the marksman pulls the trigger. An agonizing moment passes as the bullet travels through the air like a lead meteorite. Then the target crumples to the ground, a neat hole drilled through their skull. Oh, these writers are so clearly professionals. The flavor just oozes out in the words. So yeah, for those who don't know, Describe is a fantastic tool that lets players and DMs alike get professionally written descriptions of almost anything you can imagine wanting a description for in a D&D game, similar to like the box text that you see in the official D&D content, right? I'm talking settings, attacks, characters, dialogue, spells, magic items, etc, etc. They have thousands and thousands of descriptions that you can search for and find and plug into your campaign. And if you can't find exactly what you need, you can always request that they create something for you with the right subscription level, of course. But yeah, even with a free account, you can get access to so many wonderful things that are available and free to all. And yes, they do, as I often talk about, provide so much more than just box text-like descriptions. And of all the things that they do, in addition to those amazing descriptions, probably my favorite is the maps. I've talked to you guys about their incredible maps before, but it's been a while. They partner with really amazing artists and map makers to come up with these beautiful immersive maps that you can load into any VTT like Roll20, etc. I love so many things about them, not just how gorgeous they are, but the fact that a lot of them have different versions available, like a daytime and a nighttime version, or even a summer and a winter version. They all have different areas of the map that you can hover over with your mouse and find a described professionally written description of that specific area. And over the last few months, they've released so many great ones that I haven't had a chance to highlight for you yet. And so I just wanted to show you some of my recent favorites, some of which I've been showing on screen while I talk. But yeah, places like the Mountain Arena, the Endless Dungeon, the Mountaintop Observatory, Fairy Falls, which is probably my favorite of the new maps, and the Mountain Totem. I must really like mountains. Ooh. Anyway, Tons of these maps are free for anyone with just a free account, but of course to get access to all of them you'll want a hero subscription which is only a few bucks a month. Totally worth it considering all of the Describe goodness that you get access to. So go check them out at Describe.com D4. I'll put that link in the video description of course. Please use it if you go so that they know I sent you. And don't forget to use the promo code D4 at checkout if you do decide to purchase a subscription so you can save 10%. Give it as a Christmas present to your DM or to the other players at your table. Makes a fantastic gift. Huge thanks to Describe, you guys are awesome. And let's jump into the build. All right, at level one, for our starting class, yes, we are going to start as a rogue on this character. Primarily because if you start rogue, you get four skill proficiencies, which is two more than most classes. And if you later multi-class into them, you only get one bonus proficiency. 
Not a huge deal, and I don't often build for utility, but yeah, if I'm playing a character who is meant to fill the role of being the party's scout and trap finder disarmer, I usually like to start here in Rogue, as you really get so much of what you need with just a single level dip, like I've said. So when we first meet our champion, I imagine that they're perhaps being trained as part of an elite unit designed to infiltrate behind enemy lines. I think of this character as less of like a sneak thief personally, and maybe more as like a special ops kind of character. They have a knack for getting into places unseen. They have a sharp mind, a keen eye, and a killer's instinct. As for our race, yes, I'm gonna go with Old Reliable here and take custom lineage. I'd love to get an elf or a half-elf to eventually get elven accuracy, and that feels particularly poignant on this particular character concept. If I knew I were going to play this character well past level 10, I think it worth considering for sure. But yeah, we wouldn't get to elven accuracy until pretty late in our career, and it would make our first 10 levels or so significantly weaker by comparison. And since most of us don't really play the game much past level 10, I'm going to go custom lineage in order to start with a very important feat right at level 1, and also an 18 in my most important ability score. As for that free feat, I'm going to say let's go gunner. So yeah, when I think sniper, I definitely think of someone using a sniper rifle. So that's the way I'm going with this character. Or at least like a sniper musket? Though that might not necessarily exist, maybe your DM will let you flavor yours as such. Regardless, you may prefer to not go with firearms on your character. You may have a firearms aversion, or your DM might not even allow them in their world. If so, that's totally fine. The, the build will be a little bit weaker number-wise early on especially, but you could absolutely go with like a heavy crossbow instead of a musket, or if you really wanted to lean into the making attacks from as far away as possible aspect, go with a longbow which has a range of a whopping 600 feet, a long range anyway, and then take the sharpshooter feet here at level one instead of gunner. And you know, to be fair, longbow not only has a much longer range, but of course is a lot quieter than the musket to boot. So it may play into the concept that we're going for here even better. But as for us, yes, gunner is great in that it gives us firearms proficiency right out of the gate. It lets us make ranged attacks when an enemy is within five feet of us without disadvantage, as we otherwise would, you know, just in case an enemy happens to stumble upon us unawares or actually manages miraculously to close that long distance between us and them. Or maybe we're fighting in a small room, right? That happens. Gunner also lets us ignore the loading property of firearms, which would otherwise prohibit us from making more than one attack once per turn once we do get extra attack, and we will be on this character. And then it even, blessedly, is a half feat, giving us a plus one to our dexterity. Amazing. Now, I should probably mention, since many of you are probably wondering, why not go crossbow expert and use a hand crossbow so that you can get a bonus action attack every round? It's definitely worth considering, especially if you're going to be ending this character's career before level eight. For the rest of us, we'll eventually have a regular use of our bonus action, which will do really nice things for us. So I opted to go musket over hand crossbow, but the hand crossbow does offer better damage early on and even later on, but only at very low enemy armor classes. 
As for our ability scores, I'm assuming that we're taking the point by method as always, and I'd recommend going 15 dexterity and then a plus two from our racial bonus and a plus one from gunner, giving us a nice 18 to start, and then 14 constitution and a 14 wisdom. As for our equipment, yes, we might have a bit of an issue trying to start the game as a level one character with a firearm. They are expensive, as per the Dungeon Master's Guide, with a pistol coming in at 250 gold and a musket costing a whopping 500 gold. If you can convince your DM to let you start the game with one of them at least, consider yourself lucky. I'd suggest writing a super compelling backstory to help grease the skids a little bit there. And I mean, I think it goes without saying, but I'll say it anyway. Yes, be absolutely sure to discuss your character with your DM before trying to bring them to the table to make sure that firearms are allowed in their world and to talk about how and when you might procure one if they're not going to let you have one right at level one. If you can't start with at least a pistol, no worries. Just go the gold buy route here and grab a short bow, studded leather, thieves tools, and whatever else you might need that you can afford, and then just start saving your gold and try and grab a firearm as soon as you can. At Rogue One then, we get Thieves Can't. Oh yes, they can. Sorry, it's been a while since I've done that. I feel compelled every single time and usually I resist. Thieves Can't lets rogues communicate with others who can kind of speak the language in kind of written, coded format. And then we get Expertise, which is fantastic. It lets us take either two skills that we're proficient in or one skill and Thieves Tools and then double our proficiency bonus for those. I usually prefer to go Stealth and Thieves Tools, personally, but there is a very strong argument for going Perception instead of one of those, especially since we have a much higher deck score than Wisdom, which is what both Stealth and Thieves Tools will rely on, right, decks? And Perception, Wisdom-based, is usually what's needed to detect those traps and hidden doors, etc. You make the call, but don't worry, we'll be able to have all of them soon. We also get Sneak Attack as a Rogue One, of course. This gives us an extra 1d6 of damage once on a turn, so long as the attack that we make is either with a finesse or ranged weapon, check, and our target is either within five feet of one of our allies or we have advantage on the attack. Again, I'm not going to be building this character to take advantage of the once on a turn trick, but obviously if you have a battle master in your party or an order cleric or something, someone who can cast haste on you, happy days. But at level two, with our important proficiencies and expertise and even extra damage from sneak attack under our belt, I think, yeah, it's time to already start investing in another class in order to get our sniper damage as good as we can make it. So, we're going to start taking ranger levels now. I think it's the best fit conceptually for a character who's going to be this long range, behind enemy lines, special ops sniper, personally. And yeah, I see this as just sort of the next part of our character's training. We've mastered or at least begun mastering the stealthy part of our training to sneak into enemy territory, cut the enemy barbed wire that would keep us out, but now we need to perfect our skills that we will need to rely on once we're actually in enemy territory, living off the land, tracking our enemies, and taking out our targets with precision. So as a Ranger 1, not only do we get another skill proficiency when we multi-class into Ranger, that's nice, but we also essentially get expertise 
in one more skill, thanks to the Deft Explorer Canny feature that Rangers get right at level one. So now we can double our proficiency bonus in Stealth, Thieves Tools, and Perception right at level two. And that feels pretty amazing, to be honest. No trap will remain hidden or unarmed, and no enemy will ever see us coming. We also get Favored Foe here, one of my least favorite ranger abilities. <laughs> Mostly because it requires concentration, proficiency bonus times per day, you can mark an enemy and thereafter do an extra d4 of damage to them once per turn when you hit them. I can really only imagine using this if I were out of spell slots, or really needing to conserve my spell slots for some reason. It could happen. But level 2 ranger is where the good stuff really starts to happen because, first of all, we get a fighting style, and that means we can take the best fighting style in the game, mechanically at least, archery. It gives us a plus 2 to hit when making attacks with ranged weapons, and a sniper should be super accurate, so that makes me happy. We also get ranger spells here, and there are plenty of decent ones, but the ones I think I'd be sure to grab would be Entangle and Goodberry. Entangle is a nice kind of poor man's web spell that can offer some decent control, potentially restraining enemies, which means we'd get advantage on attacks against them, and they would have disadvantage on their attacks, as well as being unable to move. It's an action to cast, it requires our concentration, but it has a nice range of 90 feet and affects a 20-foot area cube. One bummer is that it only affects creatures who are in the area when you first cast the spell and not those who might enter the spell's area of effect later, as with web. Also, the creatures get to make a strength save to avoid being restrained, which isn't a particularly great saving throw to be targeting, especially with our pretty mediocre 14 wisdom. And afterwards, they can get out of the restraint with a strength check. Anyway, it's particularly good, I think, at early levels and against low strength enemies. Potentially a nice bit of control. Goodberry is a wonderfully efficient heal spell, even for those who aren't life clerics, as it lets you create 10 little berries that heal for one point each and have the added benefit of providing someone who eats one sustenance for an entire day. There's nothing that says you can't eat multiple to heal for more than one hit point, though you might get a tummy ache for doing so. Also, I think most DMs would allow you to force feed a berry during combat, and that's really nice, especially because you could potentially bring somebody back from unconscious 10 times with one single first level spell, right? I have seen some DMs say that you can't do this, however, so be sure to check with your DM beforehand. If you can't, we could always grab Cure Wounds here for some combat healing. Finally, I would pick up Hunter's Mark and would plan on using it for my concentration most of the time, but only until we hit character level eight, as I'll explain. Hunter's Mark requires your concentration and it is a bonus action to cast. You mark a target and thereafter, when you hit them with a weapon attack, you do an extra D6 of damage. It's a nice spell if you're making a lot of attacks against an enemy, which we aren't really, especially now, or if you don't have a regular use of your bonus action and Though we will later, we don't currently. And so, like I say, I will plan on using this for now. It's nice for sustained damage in that when your marked enemy dies, you can just transfer the mark to another enemy with your bonus action and just continue to enjoy that additional d6 of damage on every single hit. At level four, we would be a ranger three and we get our ranger subclass, our ranger archetype. And yeah, we're gonna go with the arguably fairly boring hunter. 
here. I mean, sure, I can see going Gloomstalker here if you wanted to gain burst damage and sacrifice sustained damage. But like I said at the beginning, we're not going that route here. We're building for sustained damage. And thus, yes, I think Hunter is the best option. Not only that, but do think it fits like the theme that we're going for better than any other ranger subclass as well. You are a stalker of prey, right? As a hunter, we get the hunter's prey feature, which lets us choose from one of three features. Giant killer is the worst. It lets you use your reaction to attack a creature large or larger who misses you with an attack. Yeah. Hordebreaker is good for fighting multiple enemies who like to stand close to each other, like I used in the wildfire druid video. Uh, a few weeks ago. But for us, a sniper focused on single target sustained damage, yes, we want Colossus Slayer, which adds a d8 of damage once per turn when we hit with a weapon attack so long as our target is not at full health. Interestingly, yes, the language here on Colossus Slayer is once per turn, not your turn. So yeah, if you can get a reaction attack on an enemy, you could potentially add this and sneak attack damage to that reaction attack as well. Somebody cast haste on us, please. So we can take the ready action and make a single weapon attack on our turn, right? We also, as a Ranger 3, get Primal Awareness, which basically lets us learn the Speak With Animals spell and lets us cast it once per day without spending a spell slot. Thereafter, we can use spell slots if we want, and that's a nice bit of utility. At level five, we'd be a Ranger 4, and these next two levels are big ones for us because, yes, we get our first ability score increase or feat, and that means we get to take Sharpshooter, which really is a must-have, I think, if you want to consider yourself a sniper. As a reminder, with Sharpshooter, when you make an attack with a ranged weapon, you can ignore disadvantage when you attack from long range, and this is kind of paramount for this build that is purportedly trying to be effective from super long range, right? In case you've forgotten, ranged weapons have two numbers in parentheses next to them. The first is the normal range and the second is the long range. You can still attack an enemy from beyond normal range, but within the long range if you want, but typically you have disadvantage for doing so, not sharpshooters. That means that with a musket, we can attack from 120 feet away without suffering disadvantage. And well, that's definitely not as nice as the aforementioned longbow at 600 feet, right? I can't even think of a single combat encounter that I've ever had in my D&D career where 120 feet wasn't close enough for me to be making effective attacks on whatever enemy I wanted during a combat encounter. I'm sure some of you may have had experiences where that was not the case. And yeah, like I said, if you really want to lean into that from as far away as possible aspect, then sure, build around the longbow and you'll be fine. Don't forget, for those of you who were planning on going the hand crossbow route here, they have the same long range, 120 feet. Anyway, sharpshooter also allows us to ignore half and three quarters cover if enemies are trying to take cover from us. Or, you know, maybe if we're like, in a tree and our DM decides that as such, our enemies have partial cover from us. If we're shooting from behind the branches, super important for any self-respecting sniper to be able to hit that little bit of the bad guy that's poking out from behind the wall when they thought they were safe, right? Finally, and maybe most importantly, Sharpshooter lets us do an extra 10 flat damage on our ranged weapon attacks if we take a minus five to hit penalty as we go for that headshot. And while that hit penalty stings, the archery fighting style 
style helps it sting less and we'll be doing more soon to help lessen that sting even further. At level six, we would be a ranger five and that means we get extra attack. Two attacks are generally better than one and even though we don't get to add sneak attack or colossus slayer damage more than once per turn, this both helps us ensure that we will get to add it on our turn and that second attack still will benefit from our ability score modifier and sharpshooter damage so it's a very healthy increase no doubt. We also get second level ranger spells here and there are a few that I feel like I need to mention. First up, Pass Without Trace feels to me like a must-have on this build. I mean, it's great on any build, but for a character who is supposed to be a specialist at getting behind enemy lines and setting up like the perfect crow's nest to snipe their enemies from, it feels even more important. It gives you and potentially your entire party a flat plus 10 to stealth checks for an entire hour with your concentration. And coupled with your high dexterity and expertise, this really will make you virtually undetectable, even with with bad rolls. It will also help even your plate-wearing clumsy paladins get into position more often than not. Aid is a super potent support spell, healing and adding to the max hit points of multiple party members, though it is apparently being changed in one D&D to temporary hit points, which will no doubt upset many people since it won't stack as easily with other spells now. Lesser Restoration is a good spell to use to cure lots of different conditions. And then there's Magic Weapon. Magic Weapon isn't going to outdamage Hunter's Mark for us here unless the enemy is resistant to attacks from non-magical weapons and we don't yet have a magical weapon in which case yeah this spell definitely worth having it basically turns your weapon into a plus one magical weapon and though it requires your concentration it would definitely be worth using against certain monsters, right? And yeah, while plus one weapons aren't all that uncommon by like level six, I'm a little less certain that plus one muskets are going to be easy to come by. The spell also scales quite nicely, making your weapon a plus two with a fourth level spell slot and a plus three with a sixth level spell slot. So yeah, if we were going to be getting higher level spell slots, it would particularly be worth considering. One last spell to consider though here I think is Summon Beast. It's probably the best thing we could do with our concentration right now, damage-wise, especially if we have a magical musket, outpacing even Hunter's Mark, but I don't know. It just doesn't feel quite right for me on this character. Snipers don't have animal companions, do they? They are lone wolves, not pack animals. But if you feel differently or just don't really care and you just want to bump your damage, then sure, Summon Beast is a nice way to get an animal companion with your concentration that gets to make their own attacks and will outpace the damage even of Hunter's Mark, depending on the enemy armor class at least. But I am not going to assume that we are using it when we do our first damage report and it's time for that now at level 6. So combat here is really straightforward for us. We get into position and when it's time to start attacking, we simply cast Hunter's Mark on our target with our bonus action and start sniping. We get to make two attacks, each doing a d12 for our musket plus a d6 for Hunter's Mark plus four for our dexterity plus 10 for sharpshooter. And the first attack that we hit with would presumably, so long as our enemy is within five feet of an ally, right, or we have advantage, do an extra d6 for sneak attack and an extra d8 for Colossus Slayer if the enemy isn't at full health. I'm just going to assume that both of those things are applying here. 
This would be a grand total of 1d12 plus 3d6 plus 1d8 plus 28. And so, against an enemy with a 10 armor class, we would on average do 45 damage per round. And against an enemy with a 15 armor class, it would be 32 DPR. And you know what? That's pretty dang good. It puts us kind of at the very bottom of tier one or maybe upper half of tier two compared to other sustained DPR builds that I've done to date. Check the video description to see the spreadsheets that make those comparisons. And not only that, but this build has the very nice benefit of requiring zero rounds to get going, at least at this level. You just start doing this damage right from round one, and that's really, really solid. Should not be underestimated. And yeah, that feels kind of like the damage that you'd be expecting from a headshotting sniper, yeah? The best part is, we are a fantastic scout and trap disarmor, plus a decent little battlefield medic to boot. I am loving where we're at. Let's see where we can go from here. At level seven, now that we've got our most important features from Ranger, especially extra attack, I think it's time to go back to Rogue for a bit to shore up some additional features that will really add to our DPR. So, as a rogue too, we would get Cunning Action. This is a nice feature for any rogue, but maybe especially for a sniper. With Cunning Action, you can dash, disengage, or hide, best of all, for us, with a bonus action instead of an action. You know, being able to hide with a bonus action will be especially nice if we are kind of up in a tree or perched up in a tower behind a wall. Obviously that's not gonna be available every fight and we're going to often need our bonus action for other things, but if you can get away with it, yeah, sure. It will make you harder to hit, and then when you attack from being hidden, you'll make your attack with advantage, right? That attack will give you away, so the second attack wouldn't necessarily have advantage, but we're going to be doing other things to give us said advantage. Namely, at level 8, Rogue 3. First of all, our sneak attack damage goes up to a 2d6, that's nice. And then we get the steady aim feature. Alright, so... I almost never really rely on steady aim in my builds. In fact, I maybe never have. But today, I'm going to. Steady aim was a new feature with Tasha's Cauldron of Everything and tells us that with a bonus action, we can give ourselves advantage on our next attack that we make this turn, so long as we haven't moved yet. And also, once we do this, our speed becomes zero for the rest of the turn. Now, that can potentially be fairly punishing, but there are two scenarios under which it's maybe not that painful to not be able to move. One, if we're on a mount. Yes, a lot of people talk about this, but in case you didn't know, if you're on a mount and you're using the mount as a controlled mount, you should be able to get away with using steady aim, rules as written at least, and still move on your turn since you can have your mount move you around even if your speed is zero. So if you want to buy yourself a mount and become a mounted sniper, some sort of Mongolian archer or something, that would be cool and you should totally do that. It will definitely let you kind of keep distance between you and your enemies, right? It didn't really fit my character concept for this character necessarily, but if it fits yours, go for it. Otherwise, sure, if you're perched in a tree or in a tower, crouched behind a wall, etc., then hopefully we won't have as much need as other characters to use our own movement. And so we should be safe to take advantage of steady aim most of the time, I think. And yeah, it just fits my idea of a true sniper a little bit better. But we also, 
at Rogue 3 get our roguish archetype, our subclass. And for that, we are going to go with Arcane Trickster. I'm a little sad about this, to be honest. I would have loved to do Phantom Rogue here, I think, or Assassin. Either are going to be better burst damage options, though with Phantom it would be to a second target. So yeah, especially Assassin if we had Surprise. And not to mention maybe having a little bit better of a feel conceptually, I think. But Arcane Trickster is going to be better for our sustained DPR, not to mention our utility and even survivability. Feel free to go a different route if you must, but I see this spell learning that we're going to be doing as an Arcane Trickster as maybe just a further evolution of the magical abilities that we started to pick up with our Ranger spells. As an Arcane Trickster, we get first up Mage Hand Legerdemain. Legerdemain. And you know, every time I do that with a French accent, I get people commenting saying, the etymology of this word isn't French, why do you do that? And I'm like, uh, Leger, Light, the of hand, light of hand. It is. Anyway. And so, yeah, this lets us learn the mage hand cantrip, and for us, it's like super mage hand. It's invisible, it can retrieve objects, and even use thieves tools, all with a bonus action. Very, very handy. Pun intended. And then, yes, we do get to learn some wizard spells here, too, and that's just so fantastically useful. For cantrips, I think I'm for sure taking at least message here for the ability to communicate with my team if I'm scouting ahead, especially. As for first level spells, we get three, but two of them have to be from the illusion or enchantment schools. I think for those, I'm probably taking disguise self for a little extra help with my infiltration. And then, yeah, silvery barbs is undoubtedly the best option, I think. I hope you can stay safe from the silvery barbs mob who is likely to attack you for taking this spell, though, should you choose to. They are vicious. <laughs> the third spell can be from any school of magic. And yeah, we totally have to go find familiar. Did I say we were a lone wolf before? Okay, fine. We're a lone wolf with an owl friend. And they're not really a friend. They're more of a casual acquaintance, like a co-worker. They tend to fly a good 50, 60 feet away from me at all times. There's a bit of a wall there. Find Familiar is just the best. It gives us some really nice additional scouting utility via our ability to see through their eyes and hear through their ears. But then, yes, they can potentially also give us advantage on an attack once per turn if the Familiar takes the help action. So now we should be able to get advantage on both of our attacks, even if we can't hide. Yeah. Have our familiar take the help action, giving us advantage on attack number one, and then bonus action steady aim. There's no reason we shouldn't be able to bonus action between attacks here. See this tweet by Jeremy Crawford if you doubt me. And then yeah, that would give us advantage on attack number two. Perfection. Now, at level nine, we have come a long way to increasing our hit chance now thanks to advantage, but there's one more thing that I really want to do to ensure that we can be as accurate a sniper as possible. So we're actually going to take a cleric level dip here. Now, bear with me. I think we can work this in thematically. See, our hero, they like their gun. They really, really like their gun. I would say they have a very special and intimate relationship with their gun. They probably built it themselves, or maybe they just make modifications to it, or maybe they have a vision of creating the perfect firearm, but haven't yet managed to do so. And I think this interest in creating things with metal and with their hands has taken on like a religious overtone to it. Maybe their expert craftsmanship has 
either drawn the attention of a god of the forge, like Gond or Reorks, or perhaps our hero has themselves sought out one of those gods in an attempt to receive divine blessing on the weapon that they're hoping and wanting to create. And yeah, I would totally plan on making this like a big moment for my character in-game story-wise. Perhaps you might not have even had a firearm until now, and with your newfound devotion and divine inspiration, are able to craft one. Could be something that the world has never seen before. You know, you might want to run that past your DM, and if they don't love the idea of firearms in their world, perhaps you can convince them to allow this to be the entree of gunpowder if you give up a precious character level for it yeah if so I'd probably take your cleric dip a little earlier in your career but regardless of your reasons yes we are taking just a single level of cleric here and as such that means we get our cleric subclass right at cleric one our divine domain and in case you haven't guessed we're going with the forge domain I love what we get with a single level of Forge Cleric. First off, we get bonus proficiencies, which we don't really need or want. <laughs> and Smith's Tools proficiencies, okay, fine. But Heavy Armor, eh. We are a stealthy sniper with low strength and a high dex. Get out of here with your Heavy Armor. But Blessing of the Forge, now we're talking. This lets us touch a non-magical weapon. Why non-magical, Wizards of the Coast? Why ensure that this cool ability will probably become useless before too long. It seems so silly to me. Oh well. A non-magical weapon or armor and give it a plus one bonus. Again, if you already have a magical weapon and magic armor or think you will be getting those soon, I'd probably consider a different subclass. But assuming that you don't, this is a really nice way to give a little bonus to our musket shot. The main reason that we wanted to go cleric, though, actually, is for the spells. I mean, I said at the beginning that we wanted to make a high utility and even support character, right? Well, a single level cleric dip gives us that in spades. We get to learn some nice utility-based cantrips, like guidance, which is what I'd for sure get here, and that could even be used on ourselves to help bolster checks to find traps or stealth. Hard to imagine that we'd need that, but hey. And then, yeah, some fantastic first level spells like Healing Word, meaning that we can now heal with a bonus action and from range so we don't have to climb down out of our tree to bring an ally back from unconscious. And best of all, Bless, which we can cast to give a d4 for up to four of our party members if we cast it at the second level on all of our attacks and saving throws. Hooray. Okay, so for our level 9 damage report, quite a bit has changed for us since last check. We're getting advantage on both of our attacks now, thanks to steady aim or hiding and our familiar. We're concentrating on bless now, meaning yes, we do have a round of setup since it takes an action to cast, but since casting that spell is going to do really nice things for probably our entire party, I don't see this being a bad thing at all. So while that does mean that we will lose the damage from Hunter's Mark, that's okay because between our bonus action being used for either steady aim or hiding and the extra d4 to hit and save for probably our entire party or most of them, it's well worth it. We're now getting a plus one to hit and damage from Blessing of the Forge, and our sneak attack damage has gone up by an additional d6. And thus, against an enemy with a 10 armor class, we would on average do 57 damage per round here, and against an enemy with a 16, it would be a 52 DPR. 
That's a nice little bump. It's not huge, but it does keep us in kind of the upper half of tier two compared to other sustained DPR builds that I've done to date at this level. And thanks to all of our plus to hit bonuses and advantage, our damage curve stays relatively flat as the enemy AC goes up, which is super nice. I mean, we don't even need to turn off the sharpshooter feet here until we hit an enemy AC of 24 or higher. And that feels fantastic. Plus, of course, we're doing really great things for our party by way of blessing, healing, curing, and all of the great utility that we bring to boot. Coming to you from the editing room, I seem to have skipped level 10 for some reason. You'd be a rogue four, and you're going to take an ability score increase or feat and bump your dexterity. <laughs> At level 11, like I said, I think we just need one level of cleric to really get the most important features. And so, yeah, I just want to go back to rogue now and start getting that sneak attack damage scaling more, as well as increase our roguish utility and roguish survivability. So, as a rogue five... Our sneak attack goes up to 3d6 first of all, and then we get uncanny dodge. This lets us use our reaction to take half damage on one attack that we take from an attacker we can see. It's a nice feature. It might not be the most amazing thing of all time, in my opinion. Half damage is great, but on only one attack, you know, I don't mean to complain. It's sometimes hard to know when to use uncanny dodge if we think we're going to be getting hit by multiple attacks, right? Fortunately, since we'll be perched up in our crow's nest, ideally anyway, shooting from 100 feet plus away when we can, we shouldn't be getting hit all that often. At level 12, we would be a rogue six and we get expertise part two. So yeah, pick two more skills, double your proficiency bonus. And that means, yeah, we've got expertise essentially in five things now. That's awesome. I'm gonna say, go ahead and pick your favorite. Though, if it were me, I'd probably grab sleight of hand and investigation, especially if your DM tends to ask for investigation checks a lot to figure out how to disarm traps, right? At level 13, we'd be a rogue seven and sneak attack goes up to 4d6. You know, one thing that I really love about arcane tricksters is that they kind of get a subclass benefit at level seven where all other rogues have to wait clear until level nine to get another subclass benefit because as arcane tricksters, we get second level spells here. And that's really great. Illusion and enchantment schools have some nice options here, including invisibility for some super extra sneaky stealthiness. Mirror image can potentially help keep us safer. And even blur if you want to favor your own defense over concentrating on bless for whatever reason. Blur would give disadvantage on attacks against us, so especially if we're not hiding, that can be really nice. Maybe somebody else is using Bless, I don't know. We also get the very nice evasion feature here as well, which tells us that if we have to make a dexterity saving throw in order to take half damage on a thing instead of full damage, then for us, if we fail the save, we only take half damage, and if we make it, we take no damage. That's awesome. All right, at level 13, it's time for our next damage report, and since last check, the increases to our damage have come from capping our dexterity score, and then two bumps to sneak attack. So it's been a nice little stretch of levels, no question. Against enemies with a 10 armor class here, we would do 66 damage per round on average. And against a 17 AC, it's barely less, 63 DPR. And yeah, we have plateaued a little bit compared to other sustained DPR builds that I've done to date at this level, landing us more kind of near the bottom of tier two. And yeah, I've got some thoughts about rogues and damage, some of which I've already shared. 
and some additional ones that I'll be sharing in the final thoughts. But I do love how roguey we are. Chock full of utility, solid damage, and then for us, even some pretty decent support. Best sniper ever. At level 14, we would be a rogue 8 and we get another ability score increase for feet. With our dexterity capped, we probably want to look to shore up our defenses a little bit here, I think. I like taking either resilient wisdom or resilient constitution. Probably leaning toward constitution if you're taking damage fairly regularly to make sure that we not only make our constitution saves, but also our concentration checks. But if your sniper antics are keeping you safe, for the most part, resilient wisdom might be the better choice here to keep us from being feared or charmed, etc. Alternatively, you could just flat bump either ability score. Better wisdom would not only improve our saves, but then our perception checks, and even help out our healing a little bit. In the end, I'm gonna say pick your favorite, but I'd probably focus on defense or maybe utility. At level 15, we would be a rogue nine and our sneak attack goes up to 5d6 now. And then we get magical ambush. One day, I'm going to build an arcane trickster who really takes advantage of this feature. It tells us that when we're hidden from a creature that we cast a spell on, they have disadvantage on their saving throw against it. Unfortunately, we have a crap intelligence score, which is what our spell save DC is based on, so unless you're casting a spell on an enemy that has a really low save bonus, they're probably gonna succeed regardless of having disadvantage. Let me know in the comments if you or an arcane trickster you know has used this feature to great effect. It's just hard for me to build a really high intelligence rogue when there are so many other important ability scores to prioritize. Maybe with an artificer dip or something, I don't know. But then it's a level nine feature so it doesn't come on until really late anyway. Maybe if I had a headband of intellect? Anyway. Comments, please. At level 16, we would be a rogue 10, and rogues uniquely get another ability score increase for feet at level 10, which is fantastic. I would take one of the ones that I mentioned last time, either a resilient feat or bumping constitution or wisdom, I think. Go ahead and grab whichever one you didn't. But then finally, for us, at level 17, we would be a rogue 11. Our sneak attack damage goes up to 6d6, and we get reliable talent, one of my favorite rogue abilities, and I'm really glad that we were able to get here eventually, even if it wasn't until the very end. With reliable talent, whenever you make an ability check that lets you add your proficiency bonus, you can treat anything rolled low than a 10 as a 10. I mean, especially on your expertise stuff, you are truly just never going to fail now. And even things that you're just regular proficient in, which is a lot of things, you'll almost always succeed. It's really fantastic for utility and I love it. So level 17 for our final damage report, the only increase to our damage that we've seen since last check has come in the form of sneak attack bumps. So I hope that you're getting a super fantastic magical weapon at this point. But yes, we have continued to add some nice utility bonuses, especially as well as some good defensive benefits. But against enemies with a 10 armor class, we would here do 74 damage per round on average. And against an enemy with an 18 armor class, it would be 71 DPR. And yeah, the rogue plateauing has continued, putting us now more like in the middle of tier three compared to other sustained DPR builds that I've done to date at this level, but make no mistake, we are a huge boon to any party between our really solid damage, boatloads of utility, and some nice support that we bring to the table. Not to mention, we are pretty dang hard to kill at this level especially. No regrets. But 
let's discuss our final thoughts. The tier score for this character. If we take the damage that they do at all of the armor classes that we calculate for at each of the four damage reports and just average them all into one big number, we come up with a 51. And that's near the bottom of tier two, right between the crossbow fighter and the Thornlock. Man, really? A hair better than the crossbow fighter. My second ever build that was supposedly taking one of the best known sustained damage builds that you could make for D&D 5e, especially with a ranged weapon. Hand crossbow, crossbow expert, sharpshooter. Nice to know that we can do comparable damage while adding all of the flavor and utility and support that we did. All right. When I first started building this character, I was initially trying to make them a sustained one-hit wonder character, inspired by last week's uh, burst damage one-hit wonder build. I thought it would be fun to do like a sustained version of that character, someone who could only attack once per round, and I thought I would see if I couldn't really try to take advantage of the scaling damage from sneak attack to make it work. But at the end of the day, yeah, it just really doesn't. Despite my best efforts, I was really struggling to get anything better than the worst sustained damage per round build that I had ever done. And what's disappointing to me about that isn't so much that I can't build a full or mostly rogue character who doesn't innately get extra attack, right? That just can't keep up damage-wise with other martial characters. It's that I can build a martial character who's also a caster, rangers, right? With a single level rogue dip and be almost as good a rogue at level six as a character who was all or mostly rogue at level six, you know? I mean, if we went rogue five and fighter one for the archery fighting style, sure. That character would have uncanny dodge, but despite the 3d6 of sneak attack you would do with your one hit, your damage would be about 25% less than what we built, Ranger 5 with one level of rogue. But honestly, your roguish utility on either character is pretty much the same, right? And at level 9, if you were to continue on with more rogue levels, your damage would be just a little bit better than half compared to the route that we took. And still, you wouldn't be that much better at being sneaky and disarming traps and the other scout-like utility. Another round of expertise, sure. Evasion's not bad. But I mean, you also wouldn't have the really great buffing and healing support options that our character ended up with either, in addition to the way more damage. So at the end of the day, I kind of feel like this thing that you sometimes hear about rogues in 5e is true. The best rogues are ones that only take one level of rogue, maybe three, at least until you get past like mid-level characters. I think that's mostly true. And few of us actually play the game past mid-level anyway, right? I'm talking levels 10 and beyond. All I'm saying is that I think the best rogues have at least some very heavy investment into other classes. And that feels like a bit of a shame to me. But despite all of my whinging, I am super happy with where we ended up with this character. And hey, at least we do get some damage scaling with more rogue levels, in addition to all that fantastic utility. In the end, I am totally in love with this sniper. They bring so much to the table, in addition to those fantastic headshots. And who doesn't love a good headshot? So anyway, that's the character build for the week. I hope you guys enjoyed it. I had a lot of fun with it. I hope you have a very Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays for those who celebrate. I hope you know how much I love you. I truly do. 
You guys are the best. Thank you so much for all that you do for me, for the channel. I hope you'll check out the other content in the channel if you're not currently in the habit of doing so. But more than that, I hope you stay safe and be good and be kind and that you're happy and that I see you again really soon. But until then, take care. Bye-bye. I seek to cure what's deep inside Frightened of this thing that I've become It's gonna take a lot to take me away from you Oh, that's too high. We gotta sing harmony. There's nothing that a hundred men or more could ever do I bless the rains down in Africa Gonna take some time to do the things we never have mm -hmm. <laughs> I am a child of the 80s, love Toto, I really do, but I also am the, like, biggest Weezer fan, and I feel like I like their version of Africa better than Toto's. I know. It feels a little blasphemous. I want to know your opinion. If you prefer the Toto version, Skull and Crossbones, in the comments, <clears throat> if you prefer the Weezer version, give me a heart. <laughs> Another one, too, Aha's Take On Me. Love the original. Love it. Weezer's version might be better. It really might. They're like the best 80s cover band ever. All right, let's do this. Check out all my mountains. These are all like mountains from Nepal and Peru. And it's actually really fun to kind of look at them and see the ones that I've been to because there's a lot in Nepal in the Himalayas that I have. Um, uh, years ago, my brother and I and my mom actually trekked to base camp at Mount Everest and it was amazing. One of the most just spiritual and life-defining experiences ever. Um, so yeah, that's a little a little bit of bragging on my part, I suppose, but I saw this shirt that had all these cool mounts and I just had to get it. Well, don't even say that. Mm, that feels off. Don't even say any of that. <laughs> don't say that. I need to send a message to my friends. Let me just check those numbers, because I don't know if they're right. Oh, they're right. Don't say that. Don't even say that. Don't even say any of that. No. Did you hear my stomach growling? I'm hungry. <laughs>